With the Chase Inc. Business Unlimited credit card, you get unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase. It's so simple, you don't even have to think about it. So think about opening your shop early. Earlier. Don't think about the 1.5% cash back. Think about automating some of your operations. Think about delivering across town, across country, across oceans. Think about every part of your business, except the one part that works without a thought. Your Inc. Business Unlimited card. Learn more at chase.com slash inc. Restrictions and limitations apply. Offers subject to change. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. out in a firefight, I mean, sometimes you don't have an American watching your back. It's an Afghan or an Iraqi. They become your brothers in arms just as much. You have to trust them. These guys have been at war longer than I have, a lot longer than I have. And they know a lot of stuff that I don't know and understand combat because they've been doing it for most of their adult lives. I wanted to work alongside those people, live alongside them, fight alongside them. People say there's such a thing as post-traumatic stress, there's also post-traumatic growth. Everybody has shit in their life. You can choose whether to let the stench overwhelm you or to turn the shit into fertilizer and, you know, grow something. An Afghan captain was killed in one of the last firefights I was ever in, one of the last missions. One of the Afghan soldiers just like completely broke down. That really had an impact on me, you know, because I know what that feels like. They saw how much we care, and how we will take a bullet for each other, and how we love each other. You know, it's uh, contagious, and they they see that. Every deployment I went on, I wore either the Afghan or Iraqi flag, you know, just so they knew, like, I gave a shit about them too, you know? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are three of the unalienable rights outlined in the Declaration of Independence. And we all want that. It's just different for everyone. I mean, life and liberty, those are the same, or at least they should be. But the pursuit of happiness, that's a little more vague. Because what makes you happy isn't exactly what makes me happy. For me, happiness is a Philly cheesesteak and an ice cream sundae and sitting on the couch with my wife watching The Flash on Tuesday nights. Sometimes it's telling a new joke on stage at the comedy club. But whatever happiness is for you, the pursuit of it is everyone's right. Nate Boyer's idea of happiness is far from what most people would consider a happy place. Discomfort, seeking discomfort, (laughs) seeking uh, challenges. The minute I feel maybe zen, Mm -hmm. what I at least interpret as zen, it's not that I run away from it. It's a reminder to me that this is not where I thrive. I thrive in discomfort. I thrive in uh, chaos. Chaos. I crave austere environments. This is Battle Scars, and I'm Tom Tran. I served in the U.S. Army, deployed to Iraq, and took a sniper's bullet to the back of my head my fourth day in country. It's been over a decade since that gunfight, and I've told that story hundreds of times. There's still things about my life in combat that I haven't shared with anyone. And in this show, I talk to other veterans of our recent wars and maybe put into words some of those things that we've never said about those experiences. All these things I've done, 
I get so many people there's like including my mother who I love to death which is like you're crazy you're crazy I'm like no the crazy person is the one who's like going to a job they hate every day <laughs> they're not making a difference in anybody else's life like that's crazy because then you're gonna get old and you're gonna be Nate's crazy. sweet spot is discomfort he doesn't like it when life is easy easy is boring and boring is not Nate's style his life reads like a comic book he was born into a good life but he left it he worked as a missionary in Africa. He came back to the United States and earned his Green Beret serving with the U.S. Special Forces in Afghanistan. And then, once he was done with all that, he returned to the U.S. and walked on to the University of Texas's football team, one of the best college programs in the country, as someone who has never played football in his life. I was 29 when I was a freshman. You know, I found out I made the team, and, and that's when I'm starting to get a little nervous. Mm -hmm. Not because I'm afraid of getting hit, but I just have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I remember being in the locker room and watching these other kids, like literally kids, put their pads on before I put mine on and kind of just see if I don't do it wrong. Uh, but I was just going as hard as I could. I was in good shape. And, and you never played football before. Never played. Never played. Uh, always regretted it. Mm -hmm. uh, always wanted to. It was my favorite sport. Just never had. And then after college, he played for the Seattle Seahawks. This dude's career makes me feel lazy, and I have like nine jobs. And you may have seen him in the news recently. When Colin Kaepernick didn't stand, he didn't actually kneel at first. He was just sitting down during the national anthem. For a couple games, no one even noticed. Then when asked about it, he said he was doing it because of his consciousness as a black American. Yeah, and his Nate was the guy who inspired Colin Kaepernick to take a knee. The controversy that rocked the NFL and the country and sparked lots of dinner arguments and Twitter rants. So... How does someone become Nate Boyer? I guess that was 2004, and I came across a Time Magazine article. The title of it was The Tragedy in Sudan. Mm. It was this photojournalism article about the genocide going on in the Darfur. And I just felt compelled to go over there and do something about it and help in some way. So I made my way over there, lied, cheated, stole my way onto a UN uh, flight once I was in Chad, the neighboring country, and got out to the refugee camps. And I was at the refugee camps volunteering, you know, and working, uh, working for those people. I mean, it's like women and children that have all, I mean, the women have all been raped. The kids have been, you know, maimed or at least, uh, you know, abandoned. A lot of them mm -hmm. were taken as child soldiers. The men were off fighting or killed already. So, I mean, I'm assisting in the medical centers. I'm playing with the kids. And then every night... I'm just like sleeping on a mat, like a rug like this underneath the stars with everybody else in that country. And I was like at peace. That was my Zen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I was like, I felt purpose. I felt like I mattered. There was so many people there that were just enamored by the fact that an American would leave this and go over there to help their situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt purposeful. And that's why I ultimately joined the military. I was my last week in country there. I'd been there a couple of months and I got malaria. I'm like listening to BBC radio and it's play by play of first battle of Fallujah with the mm -hmm. Marines. I just was like, man, I'm going to go, I'm going to go home and join the military and, you know, earn my Americanism right. in some way. I'm so glad you use that word, earn, earn what you have as an American. Because we take it for granted. Sometimes Even dude, vets dude, do. <laughs> there are days I do. Like I do every day. Because um, it's easy here. It's, it's easy. <laughs> do you think part of it is 
that you, you grew up literally in Pleasanton, right? That's where I lived when I was like in high school. Right. It's very nice. It's mm-hmm. clean. Like we weren't living in a mansion, but we were living in a nice house. Right, right. You know, and it's like safe and boring as hell. Right. And uh, do you think that was part of what drove for sure, you to? Definitely. Okay. So tell me about the ODA. Why would you go? Uh, why do you go SF? I went SF because of the motto. De oppressor libera, mm-hmm. to free the oppressed. Uh, it sounds like that's a thing you wanted to do, even going to Chad. That was, yeah. So I didn't even think I wanted to join the military until mm-hmm. I was in, yeah, until I'm in the Darfur. And I wanted to fight for those people that can't fight for themselves. I came back home and I was like, okay, I want to join the military, but I don't know what I want to do. And I found out about the special forces mission. You know, everything that we do is by, with, and through indigenous forces. I wanted to work alongside those people, live alongside them, fight alongside them and be a part of rebuilding you know, the country as best as we can. Now let's get back to Battle Scars. Because Nate was a Special Forces operator, there's still a lot that's a mystery to his story because there's still so much that's classified. Here's what we do know. Nate was in Afghanistan, partnering and training with local Afghan forces, fighting against the insurgents. And the special forces motto, De Oppresso Libre, to free the oppressed, truly came to life for Nate during those moments. When we're working with any unit, every day we're training them. And then we're going off at night on missions with them. So you get really close with them and you're living with them. Whether it's in Iraq or in Afghanistan, that's what that special forces mission is. That's what foreign internal defense is. You're fully immersed in the culture and yeah, they become your brothers in arms too. Due to like educational restraints and equipment restraints there's only so much you can you can really teach but you do learn to trust because when you're out in a firefight i mean sometimes you don't have an american watching your back it's an afghan or an iraqi and you have to uh you have to trust them and uh you know, they become your brothers in arms just as much every every deployment i went on i wore uh, on another part of my kit i would wear either the Afghan or Iraqi flag, you know, just so they knew, like, I gave a shit about them too, you know? Nate was on one of his last missions with his Afghan counterparts when there was a gunfight. And that's when things went south. An Afghan captain was killed. So it was one of your last gunfights. Yeah, that was my last, that was the last gunfight I was ever in. It was, uh, it was one ODA, so it was 12 of us mm-hmm. and probably 70 Afghans. And I think we... Ended with about 30 KIA of their guys. So I was on the uh, the 240 on the back of the uh, Mat V. Went through a lot of rounds. Yeah, over a <laughs> thousand. Was, I read. Yeah, yeah, about a thousand rounds. Just covering our guys there, you know, doing what they do. And yeah, that captain was the only guy that passed that day. One of our uh, one of the Americans was was uh, shot in the leg, but you know he was okay. And then and that Afghan captain was killed. First of all, carrying the gurney out to the medevac bird, it's six, it was six people. It was three Americans and three Afghans. And typically Afghans, because of our rules and stuff, like they're not supposed to get come up to the helicopter, right? right? But we knew these guys well. We trusted them well. And we were willing to you know, get slapped on the wrist for it because they wanted to carry their leader out. And so this, those six guys, I just it was, I was on the, sitting on the, uh, the gun in the truck just pulling security and watching it happen. And bird comes in and those guys they they carry the body out and they load the body on the bird and you know it takes off and they're coming back to the vehicles and then like one of the afghan soldiers just like 
completely broke down, like dropped to his knees. And like, just to see that, to see how much it really, how much that, that leader meant to him, you know, that really had an impact on me just to see that, just to see the way that they mourned him and were just like so eager to get back out there and fight for him, you know, fight in his honor. Mm -hmm. It was really cool to see because the first time I went on the first deployment I went to, I didn't feel that um, national pride that I felt in that at that time for, you know, from Iraqis and Afghans, uh, depending on where you're going, you know, and, and we'd been there in Afghanistan at that time for 13 years, but I mm -hmm. definitely felt, I felt that. And I felt like, okay, we were a part of that, you know, because they saw how much we care mm -hmm. and how much we, you know, we'll take a bullet for, for each other and how we love each other. And it's contagious. And that's a great thing to realize because when you're in a combat arms role and you would be put in a position where you have to dispatch enemy targets, like part of, part of how we deal with that is to make that enemy combatant not human in our minds. That's the easiest way to be able to dispatch a Reverse target. Reverse Stockholm right. syndrome. Right. <laughs> but in this case, this was a guy that was working on your FID team who, when he broke down, you saw the humanity that you saw the soldier in that you saw, you saw him react the same way you would have, if it was your captain or one of your brothers. Right. So that's an, an incredible thing to realize. You think cause they, cause they believe something so different and mm -hmm. think in different ways that they're just, they're like such a, they're so. It's a different world. Yeah, it's a different world. They're yeah. so separate from, separated from you. And you, sometimes you don't feel that kind of connection. Right. And like, I felt that connection just from watching him do that, you know, cause I know what that feels like. Right. And uh, so that was a powerful moment for sure. To feel like uh, some of the men I was fighting alongside, like, to, and, or to realize that these guys have been at war longer than I have, a lot longer than I have. And they know a lot of stuff that I don't know and understand intricacies not only within their culture and their country but just in combat because they've been doing it for most of their adult lives and and the, the fact that they just really gave a damn you know i deployed three times and especially on my last deployment i really felt like confident in the fact that at least the men and women that i interacted with um and trained and worked with uh felt this pride in country and really wanted to improve and stabilize and that's the whole sf mission we're trying to you know give them the keys and let them drive a little bit mm -hmm. and actively be a part of changing their world and uh, it's really hard it's really hard you know and it's 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 a generational thing like mm -hmm. it's just going to take a long time so when you got home and decided to go back to school you leave active duty and then went to the national guard exactly yeah okay I came back 2010 i went to the university of texas and this one yeah, right that one is that this one hook them okay because right. i'm a heavy metal guitarist and when i do this people are like hook them i'm like or yeah, no. metallica hook em. <laughs> okay it's only hook em. okay <laughs> it, does rock it is it different it. is yeah, it this if one you do it backwards that's rock and roll you oh, can rock one? and roll that right okay that is this hook is hook them oh that's right because i do this yeah when i'm playing good. guitar good there heavy metal that is hook this is hook all right well i just fucking learned a thing <laughs> The conversation Nate has most recently been a part of has been a national one. If you haven't been keeping up with the news, I'll give you a quick rundown. 
Colin Kaepernick, who was a quarterback most recently for the San Francisco 49ers, sat instead of standing during the national anthem to protest the treatment of black people and people of color in the country. It became a national controversy. Some people thought Kaepernick was justified in his form of protest, and others thought it was disrespectful to the flag and to veterans. Now, as a combat veteran myself, and now a stand-up comedian, I have literally been the defender of, and now the wielder of free speech. But if this dispute was a Venn diagram, Nate was at the very center of all of it. He is a veteran who is also a pro football player. And just like he learned in special forces, he liked learning from people completely different from him. So he weighed in. I'm a comedian, man. I know what my skill set is. I tell dick jokes and fart jokes. I stayed out of that fray when that all popped off. Right. And I didn't step into it until some soldiers that I had served with started mouthing off about shit. And then it was fucking four days of the internet just blowing up in my face. Um, so let's let's talk about it, if you don't mind. Colin Kaepernick to to protest a lot of social issues that were going on in our country, sat for the playing of the national anthem. And at some point, you wrote him an open letter, I believe? Yeah. The, and, uh, the Army Times actually reached out amidst this whole thing, you know, when, when he was sitting. And they asked me if I'd write an opinion piece about what I thought about this whole thing. And, and I think what they were looking for was maybe this is why you should stand because oh. of what I went through right. or because of what I, you know, why the flag is important, right. why, our, why our, the anthem is important. I don't know. I could be wrong. First of all, I said no. <laughs> Initially, I said no, I, I, I'm not going to contribute to the, and I'm not, a, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican, I'm not right. any of those things. Um, You're an American. I'm an American. Thank you. I'm alt-middle, you know. <laughs> and I just didn't want to uh, be a part of the, discourse and hate that's going on in our country right now we've already got a, a whole bunch of turmoil and then they hit me up again the next day or two days later and said look we we really want your perspective just because you served and you played i said all right you're in a very unique position only way i'll do this is if i get to see the final edit a and b i'm going to write an open letter as if I had Colin in the room for five minutes, just talking. That's it. But I literally pretended he was in that room because people say very things very differently when someone's in the room with them. You know, I might leave here and just talk crap about you all day long. Understand you know what I mean? But kind I'm not gonna do that here <laughs> because people don't do that. So I, I I was sitting in my living room in my apartment in L.A. and I just pretended that he was in there too, and I was talking to him, and I just you know wrote this thing in like an hour and i sent it off to them that night and i went to bed and i woke up in the morning and they'd published it already and it was like i was getting hit up from everybody from from fox cnn nbc nightline uh good morning america everybody like that and then a million other i literally hundreds of emails like boom through my website or whatever and it was just nuts and uh, I didn't know what to do. And the only interview I agreed to do because I knew them well was with NFL Network because I knew the people at NFL Network personally. I'm like, okay, I feel like that's a pretty balanced 
So I went and did that. And uh, I'm like in the green room getting ready to go on. And, you know, Colin's publicist calls me. And it's just like, Colin read the letter and he loves it and he wants to meet with you. And I was like, he loves it? <laughs> because it wasn't like I was saying I agree with you. Mm -hmm. It was just saying this is my perspective. The letter was all about a little bit of my story and why the flag and the anthem means something very special to me. But also that, look, I don't know what it's like to be you. I've never walked a day in your shoes. Mm -hmm. So I'm willing to listen and you know I want to move forward. And he, he asked if I would meet him down in San Diego the next day before the final preseason game. So I went down to San Diego and we sat in the team hotel in the lobby and just talked for like two hours, literally a few hours before kickoff. And he's starting that night. It's a week before 9-11. It's military appreciation night. There's a flyover. There's there's seals, seals jumping, jumping in the game. And there's an African-American uh, uh, sailor singing the national anthem at the game. It's like, you know, and he'd already been sitting. And it was like crazy. We had this big, long discussion. And he didn't want to hurt me or people that, you know, that saw what he was doing and took it personal, you know, as far mm -hmm. as like the uh, sitting down during the anthem. And uh, he was like, look, I, I'm, I'm willing to adjust in some way. I can't stand because I said I wouldn't. And this is something that I think is uh, a real problem. And I want to be a part of um, moving the conversation forward. And so through our conversation, we kind of came to this middle ground where we agreed that maybe kneeling was better kneeling alongside his teammates i thought being alongside his teammates is the most important thing mm -hmm. and obviously i wanted him to stand and i want everybody to stand but i want them to stand because they feel like they should you know they feel that same uh, pride in country that i feel standing because you want to standing because you want to not because you're told to because that's uh, fascism yeah i know it is <laughs> yeah and you know, kneeling, the idea of kneeling came up because, you know, I said, look, people, I think that's better because people need to take a knee to pray, propose to their wives, you know, uh, when a player's on the field, on the field in a football game are injured, everybody takes a knee out of respect. I said, it's more respectful. And I think it's more proactive too. It doesn't look like you're sitting it out literally. And he agreed. And that night, you know, he asked me if I would kneel with him and I said, I'm, I'm not going to do that, but I'll stand next to you if you do that. Uh, and so I stood alongside him on the field as the anthem played, and and then our country just fell apart again. <laughs> but at least for a moment there, I think a lot of people softened uh, on both sides. I had people from far left and far right say, look, I hadn't really thought about it from a soldier's perspective or a police officer's perspective or, you know, uh, an African-American's perspective who grew up in a, in a tough neighborhood and experienced that, that understanding that most people in all these subcultures are good people. My position on the whole thing when it came, came up was that the use of veterans and the invocation of veterans in our names to, to push forward either agenda, either side, less than one, half of a percent of the American population is served. But every time I turn around, someone is speaking on behalf of me and it drives me fucking batty. I'm that's like, a, that's an important distinction too that I mean, 
even with everything that I said and did, I don't speak for the veteran right. community either. And a lot of people were like, they st- stop speaking for us. But I'm like, I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking for me. Mm-hmm. Period. Anyway, go ahead. Right. But that's, that's the thing that drove me batty about that whole conversation was that every time someone brought up the disrespect on either side, it was like, think of the veterans. I'm like, don't, don't worry about me. I'm good. I bled. I fought. Sometimes I do get hurt by words, but I fought for the rights for you to say them because I can say whatever the hell I want to. That's true. So sometimes it does hurt, but it's like, it's not going to kill me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. A bullet's going to kill me. Right. That's what's great about our country. You can speak your mind. Well, don't come to my stand-up show tomorrow. You don't have to agree with it. Well, You might get hurt by words. You're not what's great about our country necessarily, <laughs> but no, I'm going. So let's recap. Nate Boyer left a life of relative comfort, joined one of the most elite military units on the planet, fought a war, walked onto one of the most prestigious football programs in the country, then played in the NFL. Anything else? Oh yeah, he's an actor now. In fact, he's going to be in a film called 12 Strong with Chris Helmsworth about a special forces team that went into Afghanistan right after September 11th. And... He'll be in a movie called Den of Thieves with Gerard Butler and 50 Cent. And he's still in pursuit. Pursuit of that sweet spot between discomfort and excitement. That's his happy place. And none of what he's done or is doing now is easy. But nowhere in our nation's history has anything ever been easy. And it's certainly the hell is not guaranteed anywhere. We are assured the right to pursue happiness, but it's on us to get there. Battle Scars is a Panoply podcast produced by Ryan Dilley, Shara Morse, and AC Valdez. Our theme music is composed by Daniel Dandy. The artwork by Jesse Brown. Special thanks to Andy Bowers, Panoply's chief content officer. I'm your host, Tom Tran. If you like the show, review us or rate us, or just tell someone about us. And Nate may say hook 'em horns, but I say heavy metal for life. Just don't, don't tell Gene Simmons from Kiss because I think I think he tried to own the copyright or something. For, do we have to pay Gene Simmons for this? <laughs> <laughs>